Hello and welcome back to Psycho Science. I'm Kayla and that's Hannah and this is the show where we talk about science and psychology this week from quarantine. <laughs> Hannah, how are you? You know what? I'm doing good. I'm not sick yet. Good. That's all we can ask for, I guess. Um, all my classes have been moved online for the rest of the semester. Same. Oh, okay. That's cool. Uh, uh, they went from having us come in for labs to, like, actually stay home. We were going to do labs over Zoom. How are you going to do your labs over Zoom? Well, I mean, it's not like we're doing cadavers or anything. We just have to, like, know how to do certain things with patients so they can watch us on video and make sure we're doing it right. And, like, I have friends who lived here, so we just do it on each other. Oh, okay. So I we all like... sit and do lecture. We practice on each other, yeah. Okay, I'm hearing Yikes. I mean, because I'm technically on spring break right now, so I haven't gotten to experience, like, what it's going to mean to have classes online. So, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever, I guess. But we have so many presentations to do. I'm like, I don't know how you expect us to do this. And, like, two of my professors basically have, like, no idea what's going on. Because, like, one of my professors was like, hey, come pick up your things from school. And we were all like, we're not allowed to go to school. Like, we can't. And so then she she was like, well, you're hearing different information than I'm hearing, and that's scaring me. I have a theory that I've already had coronavirus. I have seen this theory. It's the, yeah, the one that's going around Twitter. I was very sick in January with, like, So was me and James's entire family yeah so i mean i mean it makes sense we got all the every we get everything from china let's not lie to ourselves um so i i just feel like it's been here for a while anyhow speaking of china that reminds me of the funniest story that um james's mom told me last night about his sister mm-hmm. and so um his sister was like five at the time and James would have been, like, seven. And he got this little, like, toy airplane from Chuck E. Cheese. And mm-hmm. something happened, and he broke it. And he was so, like, sad. Like, he was on the verge of crying over it. And so his sister walks up, and she's five, and she picks it up. She really closely examines it. Okay. And mm-hmm. she goes, it says made in China. If it was made in China, we can fix it in America. Oh. <laughs> Just completely dead serious, five years old. Oh. <laughs> Something about wow. that's so funny to me. That's hilarious. So what are we talking about this week? Okay, so for me, I literally figured this out last night. I was like, what am I going to talk about? And so I kind of just started in a loophole of, well, like a wormhole? I don't know, whatever. Um, A hole of research on video game and brain training. And so I'm kind of just going to talk about like two different studies and then kind of like a textbook that puts it all together for us. So, yeah, okay, so... The first study that I'm going to talk about is one that one of my teachers gave to me because it was done at Florida State University. 
And so she was like, hey, read this. It's cool. And we did it. (laughs) Great. So. Perfect. mm -hmm. So this study was done by Valerie Schutt et al. at Florida State University in 2014. And what they did is they tested 77 undergraduate students and they were randomly assigned to either play a popular video game, which at the time was Portal 2, or a popular brain training game, which was Lumosity. Which, have you heard of Lumosity? Oh, okay. Because I've seen, like, I literally think I've seen, like, ads for it and stuff where Hmm. they basically say, like, hey, train your brain, you you do all these little games on your phone and then, you know, it shows you how over time you like increase in response speed and like it's keeping your brain young and healthy and like all that stuff. When what it's really doing is your brain is memorizing the sequences. So you're not actually training your brain to do anything, but people think you are. So that's basically what this study is about. They kind of wanted to see, well, what's better for, quote unquote, brain training, an app meant for that or just a random video game. So um, the undergraduates had to play whichever game they were assigned to for eight hours. So before and after gameplay, the participants completed a set of online tests um, and those were related to problem solving, spatial skills and persistence. Mm hmm. And the results showed that participants who were assigned to play Portal 2 showed a statistically significant advantage over those who played Lumosity on um, problem-solving spatial skills and persistence. So on all three of the measures, those who played Portal 2 had significant increases as compared to those who played Lumosity. Interesting. Video game's good. (laughs) Yeah. So... Portal 2 players also showed significant increases from pre-test to post-test on specific small and large-scale spatial tests, while those in the Lumosity condition did not show any pre-test to post-test differences on any of the measures. So their overall um, thing that they said was video games can have a positive impact on cognitive and non-cognitive skills. Mm -hmm. So honestly kind of dope and sick so that led me to the next study which i looked at which was a study by walter boot et al um from the beckman institute and from the university of illinois in 2008 and so they talk about some of the past video game research and in that past research it's been shown that expert video game players often outperform non-players on measures of basic attention and performance Um, and those differences might be from exposure to video games, or they might be from group differences between people who prefer to play video games and those who don't play video games, which I thought was really cool. And so, um, that research has also suggested a causal relationship between playing action video games and improvements in a variety of visual and attentional skills, So these researchers wanted to examine expert versus non-gamer differences and the effects of video game playing on tasks from a wider range of cognitive abilities. So like attentional and performance skills have been tested before. So they wanted to test um, attention, memory, and executive control. 
So they had the non-gamers play 20 plus hours of an action video game, a puzzle game, or a real-time strategy game. I know 20 plus hours is kind of a lot, but So expert gamers and non-gamers differed on a number of basic cognitive skills. Experts could track objects moving at greater speeds, better detected changes to objects stored in visual short-term memory, switched more quickly from one task to another, and mentally rotated objects more efficiently. Um, I know it's kind of weird, right? Oh, and this is going to get so specific to you. You're going to love it. I really, I did this for you. Perfect. (laughs) So, um... They also said that extensive video game practice did not substantially enhance performance of non-gamers on most cognitive tasks, although they did improve somewhat in mental rotation performance. So what that suggests is that there's at least some differences between video game experts and non-gamers and basic cognitive performance that results either from far more extensive video game experience or from pre-existing group differences and abilities that result in a self-selection effect. Which I think is kind of awesome. Mm, Okay. It's like kind of cool. It's kind of cool. They're like, hey, gamers are good at being gamers and non-gamers are bad at being gamers. Thank Perfect. you. <laughs> Thank you. So then I found this book. It's called Media and the Well-Being of Children and Adolescents. And it, it really brings it home for us. And it gets into some specific things that I have to look up and I'm excited about it. Perfect. So they say that video games can affect players on at least five different dimensions. So the amount of play, the content, the context, the structure, and the mechanics. So the amount of play has been associated with lower academic performance, risk of childhood obesity, and gaming addiction. Really? You don't say. So kind of some (laughs) of the negatives. But... Um, They've also found that game content has been shown to lead to content-specific learning. So, for example, certain educational games have been shown to successfully teach a number of school subjects. But then they also say violent video games have been shown to increase aggression, but pro-social video games have been shown to increase empathy and helping. Did I tell you I almost was in a study with video games in undergrad? And then I didn't do it because I didn't think it was worth the $15 Amazon gift card. I would do probably pretty much anything for a $15 Amazon gift card. Um, They, well, it was like teaching Calc 2 using VR. That sounds cool. I mean, sure, except for Calc 2 was the worst semester of my life, arguably. Mm Mm-hmm. it okay t that's all i'm gonna impede at the moment so they also found that video game structure may significantly affect visuospatial processing a number of studies have demonstrated that playing fast-paced video games may have positive effects on the number of visual and spatial skills such as faster visual reaction times improved target localization and mental rotation which kind of goes back to that last study i just told you about um and then game mechanics can lead to improvements in specific motor skills 
For example, video game play experience has been shown to predict surgical skill among laparoscopic surgeons. Laparoscopic? Do you know what laparoscopic surgeons are? Do I have um, uh, watched them in person? One of the surgeons I shadowed, he did it, and it's like a video game. He's like, I played a lot of video games as a kid. This is like a game. And he's over there with his fingers like this. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, it wasn't the guy's body yet, but you could see the little little tools just bebopping. He's, like, moving around like a little crab. Oh, my God. Um, I'm like, sir, please do the surgery. Surgeons are crazy. Have we talked about this? No. Okay, dude. Okay, so you see all these movies, it's super intense in the OR, like, oh my mm-hmm. goodness, they're gonna die, they need a transfusion. In real life, they're literally, like, jamming out the queen, dancing around, and, like, cutting away. <laughs> well, okay. They get the job done. <laughs> Does that make a- you uncomfy? A little. Uh, well, it kind of makes me comfy, though, because they're so confident they don't... Oh, for sure. And I don't know if I want someone that serious. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. Well, so for all of those who don't know what laparoscopic surgeons do, um, it's a surgical diagnostic procedure used to examine the organs inside the abdomen or pelvis. It's a low-risk, minimally invasive procedure that requires only small incisions. So that's what they do. Great. And they use a little camera, and they go inside your organs, and they look at stuff. Every time I watched them, I would watch the screen. And I'm like, I don't know how you know where you're at, you are in the body, but go you. This is why you did, like, a seven-year residency. Now, Kayla, here's the, part where, <laughs> here's the part where it comes back around to you. To Exercise me. games have been successfully used in physical therapy. They have. I've watched well, it. So I, specifically for you, I looked oh, up God. these two things. So here, we'll get into it. So... Um, I looked up the one about the impact of video games on training surgeons in the 21st century. That's what the uh, study that they were referencing is actually called. And I'm just going to tell you the results from it really quick. They saw that surgeons, who were also video game players, (laughs) made 32% fewer errors, performed 24% faster and scored 26% better overall on time and errors than their non-playing colleagues. When comparing demonstrated video gaming skills, those in the top tertile made 47% fewer errors, performed 39% faster and scored 41% better. Here's the tea. I wanted to be a surgeon until I didn't want to be in an OR one day or all day and wanted to actually talk to my patients and not have them unconscious. Maybe it's just because I didn't play video games because my brother never let me. I think it's just because you didn't play video games because I, if you you have to be a gamer if you want to be a surgeon. That's it. Okay. Well, and that if you're not a gamer, all you're, my questions. A, you're a bad surgeon. You're a bad surgeon. Perfect. Sorry, surgeon. I'm sure every like 70-year-old surgeon right now is like that probably is not listening to us um, at all, because why would they? They're probably like, yeah, I didn't play video games, but am good at surgery. <laughs> That's how they all talk, I swear. Okay, T. So then um, the one that they were talking about for physical therapy, they listed two, but I couldn't find the second one, so I'm just going to tell you about one of them. Okay. 
It is called Video Game Based Exercises for Balance Rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to see um, if coupling foot center of pressure controlled video games to standing balance exercises would improve dynamic balance control. And they wanted to determine whether the motivational and challenging aspects of the video games would increase a subject's desire to perform the exercises and complete the rehab process. I have watched this. I've watched old people do this in um, a skilled nursing facility, which is the nice way to say nursing home, Mm -hmm. that I observed in when before I started school. Uh, They, this one they had on a Wii, so they were like on a Wii Fit. Or, like, um, yeah, they always had on a Wii Fit because they didn't want the old people with the controllers, I guess. I don't know. They probably, I don't know, this facility. Anyways, so they would, a lot of them were, like, sports simulation games. So soccer, mm-hmm. tennis. So, like, tennis, they would be, like, moving their arms for it. Soccer. Or maybe, no, it wasn't a Wii. It was, what was the Connect, right, where it has the camera? Yes. Yeah, I think it was that one. Because they did have a different one that was on the Wii, but there was one with the Kinect that they just had to move their arms and stuff, and they did it with balance. And you'd have the PT behind them with their gait belt to hold them up. It's very cool. It's kind of interesting. I I mean, I'm not a big video game gal, so I was like, oh, this is interesting. But, like, you know, I'd mm-hmm. rather, like, bring them outside. Well, um, here, let me just finish the study and then... So they did this at a university hospital outpatient clinic, and they had three people. They had a young adult with excised cerebellar tumor, one middle-aged adult with a single right cerebrovascular accident, and one middle-aged adult with a traumatic brain injury. I really should have vetted those words. I had my lectures. Wait, what? I should have vetted those words before I read them. I didn't know they would be hard. Oh, well, I mean, I had a lecture yesterday on traumatic brain injuries and cerebral vascular accidents. That was four-hour lecture yesterday. I sat on my back porch. Um, and so over 12 different tasks, they measured the number of falls, the range of COP exertion, and COP path length. And after the exercise, subjects exhibited a lower fall count, decreased COP exertion limits for some tasks, increased practice volume, and increased attention span during training. The COP-controlled video game-based exercise regime motivated subjects to increase their practice volume and attention span during training. This, in turn, improved subjects' dynamic balance control. Yay! Accurate to my... Yeah, I'll use that one day. Well, not the video. I don't know. Maybe the video games. Well, you're getting a good case for them. Oh, I feel like it'd be better for like, well, okay. Not that I know that it would be better, but like, especially for like, maybe like kids and stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And they're like, this is Um, so boring. I don't care about physical therapy. I think that, well, the pro, a lot of the problem with physical therapy as a whole. And I mean, It's that you're in the clinic. So, okay, I train dogs. You can't tell a dog to sit if they don't know what sitting means, right? Mm -hmm. You could tell a person to sit down and, like, have them do squats. But to strengthen their glutes so they hold themselves up better. Cool. Awesome. But when they're actually out doing something, they're they're, they're not going to be thinking, oh, I need to activate my glutes. 
where like with a dog you have to like trick them into doing it in a way so mm-hmm. it has that it's called the internal locus versus external locus of control which mm-hmm. you probably know about mm-hmm. also so that's the issue is a lot of times it's like okay you have a knee problem let's strengthen this that and the other but there's a lot of say with like an acl repair they get the acl repaired but all they did in pt was strengthen so when they go back out into playing the sport they're going to re-injure themselves because they're not thinking oh let me activate my quad as i run sideways Mm -hmm. okay and so i can see that this could be beneficial because they're actually doing a simulated activity say you know the artificial soccer or whatever so they are strengthening while doing the activity which is why i as a practitioner i would like to practice a lot more outdoors and have them do their real life activities Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of research on that. Uh, they actually do, like, PT retreats. There's, like, a company that does that where they'll take them out in nature and they'll have, like, a whole camping trip and trip in the entire time. It's like they're working on strengthening their hip. But, like, mm-hmm. the person's not realizing that as they're doing it. They're just doing the activities. So I can see how that would be a more feasible option for that, especially mm-hmm. when you're still, like, in the hospital or something. Yeah. You got to trick people into doing stuff. Pretty much. Well, for not, their own I well-being. Guess not tricking. Is tricking a bad way to say it? I know. I mean, it's kind of a little bit non-consciously. Like, yeah, unconsciously having them do something so they are strengthening and doing the thing that they should be doing. Yes. Because, like, in the real world, you're not thinking about, like, if you're walking, you're not like, okay, now I'm going to lift this foot and while this foot is planted and now I'm just going to lift my toes and then my ankle. Like, no, you're just walking. <laughs> Yes. Okay, I digress. Anyways. I like that. That was a good conversation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Great conversation. Some passion. Can you guys tell I have more energy because I get to stay at home all day? <laughs> do, do. Oh, wait. What are... Oh, oh that, that was the end. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Perfect. Well... <laughs> I was like, I... does she want me to do some intermission music? No, I thought... <laughs> Please do. Okay. So I guess what we're talking about today, you know how I go a little medical and then I go a little not medical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to go a little not medical today. Maybe. Kind okay. of. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about pangolins. Um, I first heard of these four or so years ago uh, because Google had a quiz on their homepage um, for like endangered species awareness one day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, take this quiz to see which endangered species you would be. And I got a pangolin. Um, we'll explain later. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense. Um, so their common name is pangolin. Their scientific name is manaday. Uh, they're an insectivore. And we, science doesn't really know that much about them. Because they don't do something for us. Well, not necessarily. Uh, it's because they're kind of like secretive little dudes. They're kind of like... They die via stress. Like, if they get stressed. No. They're also very, like, independent, and they only socialize when they need to mate. So, um, do you see why it's like me? Anyways. <laughs> um, th- so, when they get around people, they get stressed, and then they just, like, spontaneously die sometimes. Oh, my God. Very sad. Anywho, so they look kind of like, do you know what they look like? I think I've seen them, yes. Okay, so they look kind of like an armadillo and an artichoke had a love child. It's very cute. I think they're cute. Some people think they're funny looking. Some people think they look like crocodiles. I don't agree. 
Anyways, so all pangolins beco- belong to the genus Manus and the family Menindae, uh, which is the only family within the order Philodota. So there are eight species of pangolins. Four are found in Asia, which are the Chinese, the Sunda, the Indian, and the Philippine pangolins. And all of those are critically endangered. The other four are African, which include the ground, the giant, the white-bellied, and the black-bellied pangolins. And they are all vulnerable species, so they're not yet endangered. Uh, Pangolins are most active at night. Most of them live on the ground, but the black-bellied pangolins can climb trees. They are found in a variety of habitats, including tropical and flooded forests, thick brush, cleared and cultivated areas, and savanna grasslands. Basically, if there are insects there, they are there. Okay, I love that. (laughs) So they often burrow in tunnels and some sleep underground. Their winter burrows are strategically excavated near termite nests that provide a long-lasting food source. Uh, So in a Chinese legend, pangolins are said to travel all around the world underground. And in Cantonese language, the name for pangolins translates to the animal that digs through the mountain, or chun shud cap, which translates to scaly hill borer. Borer. Words are hard. (laughs) Borer. They range in size from uh, the size of a cat to the size of a car. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, But, like, a short car. So Sure, that's fine. Like, four feet long or more. That's a lot. Yeah, or, like, the size of a little Enki. Um, and they weigh three and a half to 73 pounds. Um, they have keratin scales, like our fingernails which give them the scaly anteater look. Their bellies are covered in a thin layer of fur, so they are mammals, despite a lot of people think they're, croc- or they're crocodiles. They're reptiles mm-hmm. because they're scaly. They're not. They're mammals. The African species have bristles between the scales, and the Asian species do not, which differentiates them. I mean, besides living on different continents, but mm-hmm. I digress. Uh, so like armadillo, when scared, they roll into a ball like skunks. Or they roll into a ball when they're scared, like armadillo, and they release scent from their gland by their tails like skunks when they're scared. Uh, they have long snouts and tongues to eat ants and termites and destroy mounds of dirt with their claws. Uh, so their important role in the ecosystem is pest control. It, um, estimates indicate that one adult pangolin can consume more than 70 million insects annually. Uh, pangolins have special muscles that seal their nostrils and ears shut to protect them from attacking insects. And they also have special muscles in their mouth which prevent ants and termites from escaping their capture. Wow. So they got it going on. Uh, (laughs) So their tongues are so long that it is attached near the pelvis and the last (gasps) pair of ribs. Yeah, it's all the way back there. And rests in the chest cavity. And within their stomach, it's full of stones to break down food like bird, like a bird's gizzard. Uh, they have horrible vision, uh, but they utilize their smell to find prey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each of their paws have five toes, and their four feet have three long curved claws used to demolish the nests of termites and ants um, and to dig the nesting and sleeping burrows that they sleep in. Pangolins shuffle on all four limbs, balancing on the outer eds of, edges of their feet. So they're like, boop, 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 they felt bobble back and forth. Um, and they tuck their four claws underneath as they walk. So they're kind of like 
on their little hooves. They're kind of cute. So, but they can run surprisingly fast and will often rise on their hind limbs to sniff the air. They're very independent and only spend time when they mate or when they have children, which I said earlier. And there are some pangolins who co-parent until the younger race, but not very many species. They act and act and eat. What well, words are hard? They act and look like anteaters and armadillos, but are mammals, making them more closely related to dogs, bears, and cats. Okay. Pretty cool. The babies are born with soft scales that harden within two days, and they ride on their mother's tails until they're three months old and can eat termites at one month after nursing. Look up a video of them riding on tails. You will not regret it. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Uh, they are not sexually mature until two, until two years old. So, now to the juicy part. Wait, so is, like, two years old when they stop, when they go, like, live on their own? Again, we don't know that much about them. Mm-hmm. We know that they're sexually mature at two. They're very independent. I'm not sure when they're weaned, like, from yeah. their mother. But if they can eat insects at one month, I don't think it would be long after that okay well because i was wondering if it would be like after they learned how to eat on their own or if it would be like when they became sexually mature yeah that's true you know i could eat on my own and i still lived with my parents oh and so when we become sexually mature that's when we're like get out of here parents goodbye yeah or definitely well not anymore Wait, what? You said when you're sexually mature that you move out of your parents, right? Well, when you, like, that's when you're done with your parents. That's when you, like, so, like go yeah, through like your... like, 12. Yeah. Yeah, you go through your angsty yeah. phase. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They used you're to like, sell you off to an old man at that age. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> Not anymore. At least my parents didn't. And if your parents do, and that's also a problem in other countries. Sad child brides. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't funny, but I we laugh when we're uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Anyway, okay, so now for the fun part. The juicy part. I wouldn't say it's fun. It's juicy. Uh, so can I just say I'm happy that we put off. I put off this topic. Uh, it's been on my list for a while, but it's becoming more and more increasingly re- relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, pangolins are the most trafficked non-human animals, including elephants. Weird. By the most conservative estimates, 10,000 pangolins are trafficked illegally each year. And so, but these illegal trafficked people, trafficking people, they're not going to report that, you know? So this is like a very conservative estimate. They're estimating that this is only like 10% of the actual problem. Somewhere like 100,000. Um, so they said that the true number trafficked over a two-year period was 116,990 to 233,980, according to Animaticus, which is an advocacy group for pangolins. So how much is a pangolin worth? Um, And we'll get more into this, but there... This is kind of like a chart I found on a website. Like, to a hunter, they're worth about $22.50 apiece. To a high-level trader, it's worth $265 per pangolin. And to a restaurant in Vietnam, it's $350 per pangolin. But we'll get more into how much 
Um, it is. So, like, for comparison, wildlife trafficking estimates, pangolins, again, are 10,000, and that's, like, a conservative estimate. Tigers are only 200 per year. Wow. So, um, so no one really knows how many are left in the wild. And the sad thing is they're pretty invincible to everything but humans. They've only been, like, really popular to traffic within the last, like, I want to say since the 70s or so. Um, Because there are stories of people literally hitting them with their car and they walk away with no damage, but the car's damaged. So, like, they're pretty invincible to nature. Wow. Um, But people are dickholes. Uh, There are not many in captivity. In Vietnam, there's a rescue, and the San Diego Zoo is the only one in North America that has a pangolin. His name is Baba. Uh, The zoo used to have two, but one died of digestive problems, um, which that happens when Mm -hmm. they get stressed. Um, So this was, like, a little funny thing I found that's, like, are you a pangolin? Uh, You are a pangolin if you sleep all day and party all night. Partying may or may not include swinging from trees by your tail or eating ants. Uh, When confronted with an awkward situation, you run away and hide. You are not so sure about that whole pairing off thing, hashtag solitary life. Or you get so stressed out that sometimes you could just, I mean, like, die. So they're so cute. So while pangolin is illegal to buy, sell, and eat, in most countries, there are black markets that sell it as food. Mm-hmm. So a CNN investigative reporter states that one of the restaurants that he went to um, had it was $350 per kilo with a minimum purchase of five kilos, which totaled to or $1,750 for 11 pounds. That's U.S. dollars? Yes. Okay. Which, pricey. Um, then, so he said at the restaurant... That he didn't order one because obviously he was in advocacy and he was... Well, thank God. But he had talked to the... um, In Vietnam, the advocacy group he had talked to and said that kind of the process that they do it is so they bring the pangolin out to the table live and slit its throat (gasps) in front of you. Um, And then you have the option to have the blood served as wine to you. Why? It's like a delicacy there. Uh, basically, it's a status symbol there because they are so rare that if you can afford one and get one, like you're, it's status. Oh my god! So, um, where was I? Uh, so the article said he interviewed others who said that it tastes somewhere between duck and chicken with a bitter flavor. So a lot of the times, it doesn't really even taste that good. Uh, so here are like some reasons that they buy it. So pangolin scales are sold in traditional medicine shops, ground up and eaten as an alleged treatment for lactation issues, blood circulation problems, and cancer. Uh, one of the prescriptions the guy found said, um, grind up four scales per day and eat them with rice. Continue for seven days. It may taste funky, but just add sugar. Uh, the price is $600 to $1,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which, I mean, medicine's expensive, even here, sadly. Uh, Pangolin tongue in China, um, they were told that pangolin tongue is dried up and carried in a person's pocket as a good luck charm, like a rabbit's foot. Uh, The pangolin fetus is eaten for alleged health benefits Mm -hmm. and as an aphrodisiac. Um, And then this is a quote from the guy that he... or This is a quote 
from a guy the guy interviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my boss says if you want to make medicine from pangolins, you take rice, wine, and boil it with a baby pangolin and just put it in a jar. Uh, you don't have to mix it with other ingredients. You just boil it with the wine and you put it in a sugar. Every morning you drink one small cup and it can heal you from disease. There are four ways it will help. First, for skin disease. Second, it will make you always feel fresh. It will make you breathe easy. That's three. And I forgot what the fourth reason is. Um, so that's the guy's quote. Uh, they are a delicacy because of the rarity and it is a status symbol. Now to the reason why I'm glad I delayed this topic. Uh, this impending looming thing throughout the world that is called coronavirus. Um, there is speculation that the man in Wuhan, China, ate a pangolin and contracted the disease. A uh, child, or child, wow. China has had a wildlife trading ban for years, with the first being in the late 80s, including a list of 330 species that prevents poaching, smuggling, or trading with consequences um, up to life in prison. Um, so it is illegal. China's trying to stop this, as are other countries. It's illegal in Vietnam. It's illegal in China. It's illegal in Singapore. Like, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 2007, the sale of pangolins outside of specialty hospitals and clinics was made illegal. And in 2018, the Hubei Providence, which is where Wuhan is, created 300-plus wildlife conservation zones to protect the animals from hunting and trading. So they have, like, regions that you can't go to, say, the mm-hmm. piglins. Uh, so they still don't think this helped. One case, um, the police caught there were nine tons of pangolin scales from 14,000 pangolins taken from a single mm-hmm. shipment in Hong Kong in 2019. And... Um, since there are, is such a privilege to have them and the supposed medicinal purposes, the poor people hunt them in order to sell to the rich to be able mm-hmm. to afford to live. Uh, so in February of 2019, 33 tons of meat were um, seized in Malaysia, and in April, 14 tons of skills were found in Singapore. So obviously this isn't helping Right. Uh, so according to Traffic, which is a global wildlife fair or wildlife trade monitoring network, from 2007 to 2016, 90,000 pangolins were smuggled into China. In 2017, a ban on international commercial trade of all eight species of pangolins went into effect under the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species in Wild Fauna and Flora, which China is a party to. Uh, but... By 2019, the Chinese pangolin had become functionally extinct in China, which means basically there were none left. Again, they don't know how many are left in the wild. Um, According to the China Biodiversity Conservation and Green Development Group, this is what they said that they had become functionally extinct. Mm -hmm. Um, It's estimated that that because of the risk from bans that the price of live pangolins, pangolins has increased from $7 a pound in the 90s to around $300 per pound now. Um, so eating it is relatively new. Some old textbooks actually say pangolins are poisonous. Um, a collection of prescriptions compiled by Sen Simao, an alchemist of the Tang Dynasty, in um, 652, said there are lurking ailments in our stomachs. Don't eat the meat of pangolins because it may trigger them and harm us. Um, Binko Gangmu, um, the Chinese medicine and cuisine capstone by Li Shizhin and uh, 1518 through 
1578, um, he was an herbalist and naturalist and a physician, warned people that eat pangolin and, quote, may contract chronic diarrhea and they go into convulsion and get a fever. So, basically, this is, like, a new thing. Yeah. Um, ancient texts also cautioned against eating any number of other wild animals, including snakes and badgers and other creatures, such as boars, that today are thought sometimes to tra- transmit diseases to humans. So, they've, they've been knowing. <laughs> the ancient Chinese, they've been new. Um, <laughs> I know English. I'm just... Mm. Um, so... Um, some are calling COVID-19 the revenge of the pangolins. Um, what we know now is that COVID-19 is zoonotic, meaning that it jumped from animals to humans by evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also evolving so rapidly that there are already two different strains of it in people. Oh. And I want to contract my statement that we weren't being dramatic because we are dramatic. Um, we should be scared. <laughs> should we be scared? We should be scared. Oh, I mean, we are like actually scared. Kind of dramatic. Um, not if you're not immunocompromised. Um, so I shouldn't be scared. But you shouldn't be scared. Okay, like I think we should be more. I think we should be more cautious than I was saying last week. But again, if you're immunocompromised or old, you should be a little worried. But as we also shouldn't be out and spreading it either. I'm not going outside to protect the elderly. Thank you, elderly, for being elderly. Okay. Um, Respect your elders, Kayla. Don't you remember that? So, a group of researchers from South China Agricultural University found that samples from coronavirus patients were 99% identical to samples of the virus taken from wild pangolins, according to China's official Xinhua news agency but their research hasn't been published or confirmed by others um again 99% genetically like a lot of things are 99% the same so anyhow Mm -hmm. I digress uh there are closely or sorry penguins are closely related to civets which is what passed SARS from bats to people in 2002 which some are thinking that pangolins transmitted the disease from bats to people in the case of COVID-19. So I've said this in a previous episode that coronavirus is simply a class of viruses, all with spikes that look like a crown, which is where the corona comes from. But what makes them so special mm-hmm. is they are transmitted in RNA, not DNA. So RNA viruses are much more scary than DNA viruses. Um, RNA viruses have high mutation rates, up to a million times higher than their hosts, and these rates are correlated with enhanced virulence and evolvability, uh, which are considered traits beneficial to the virus. However, their mutation rates are almost disastrously high, and a small increase in mutation rate can cause the RNA viruses to go locally extinct, which could be good, but also bad. Um, RNA viruses infect cells by injecting RNA into the cytoplasm of the host cells to transcribe and replicate viral proteins. Uh, these RNA viruses also include retroviruses, which use reverse transcriptase to create DNA from RNA templates. So they don't, you know. These new transcribed DNA can now be packaged and incorporated into the host genome so that subsequent, subsequent cell division by the cell produces cells with the viral DNA integrated. So it just inserts itself. Uh, but unlike, sorry, let me finish this. Unlike DNA viruses, 
which must always transcribe viral DNA into RNA to synthesize proteins. RNA can skip the transcription process, which is why it's so scary, because it can do stuff without... It skips steps. <laughs> what was your question? So, okay. This might sound a little bit stupid, There's so no just stick with questions. it. Hannah. <sighs> well, so... So, like, the reason you can get, like, the flu multiple times is because, like, you get different strains of yeah, the so flu, right? Yeah, so the flu, one of the viruses that causes the flu is also an RNA virus. And so uh, it takes, like, 18 months to create a flu vaccine, and they, they do predictive ones, flu strain A and flu strain B. So they do the predictive Mm-hmm. Values. So the vaccines that are released are actually like a prediction of what's going to happen. They don't really know what's going to happen. They just know how to follow patterns. That being said, the flu, because RNA viruses evolve so rapidly, that's why there's a new flu every year. Right. So my question, my follow-up question then with the coronavirus situation is that you you could catch one strand of the coronavirus and then it's already mutated so quickly that you could recover from that and then catch the next That's strand of correct. it. So with the flu, it's like, you know, one a year. But if the coronavirus is mutating yes. even faster, like, could we just be, like, permanently sick forever? I don't want to say yes or no, but if we don't, stop it possibly now in terms of you know i've seen that some of those articles that are like oh we're testing out this treatment this vaccine this whatever you know like would it really so if you got the vaccine that means that it would kill off the virus before it can infect therefore it would stop its evolution so it wouldn't be able to continue mutating and as, except from like some really high strength, which again wouldn't, it's that's more rare. That's not likely to happen. But you say those take like 18 months yeah, to make. Yeah, that's why people are like frantic right now because this kind of caught people by surprise. Okay. And because a lot of people were, including myself, were like, eh, this is not a big deal. Um, which is what people, last words, moments before because, disaster. Well, yeah, so that's why it's like we weren't on this case. It's, what did coronavirus come out in China in what, November? October, November? Something like that. So sure. we could have been working since then. And they're saying that they have some immunizations for it now, but they haven't been, like, tested highly. I think it's Canada that's, like, getting with it. They did it in, like, eight days or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. again, that's, like, hard because, yeah, we needed to test it on people, but... How do we test it on people if we're trying to get it done quickly? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's dodgy. Yeah. I don't remember how long the H1N1 or swine flu vaccine took in 2010, but that was a DNA virus, so, you know, it didn't spread as rapidly. Which, mm. I did a documentary in fifth grade on the H1N1 virus, um, and I won a county award for it, but... I'll let you watch it. It's really freaking funny. (laughs) I, like, interviewed the health guy of our county and everything. Um, Like, a couple health people and, like, our school nurse. Like, oh, my gosh. Tragic. Um, Some other viruses that you may have heard of before. 
would be SARS, which was the last coronavirus, um, poliovirus, uh-huh. hepatitis A, Zika virus, dengue fever, West Nile virus, measles, mumps, rubella, and yellow fever. Those are all RNA viruses. All scary, mm-hmm. very scary things. Uh, so this makes it harder to create the vaccine again to solve the issue. Uh, since the outbreak, pangolin sales have plummeted in bush meat markets and wet markets. So good for the pangolin, bad for the people. But we are the invasive right. species. I will reiterate. Wait, so how did, like, how do the pangolins, like, have this virus? Like, all of a sudden? Because I assume people have been eating well, yeah, it for, because, you know, a couple so of decades. So, say, there's a lot of times, I don't know why, a lot of viruses and stuff and bacteria transmit from bats. So, if, like, a bat bit a pangolin and the pangolin got the virus, the pangolin may not be sick. That doesn't necessarily mean it affects the pangolin. A lot of the times, that's why viruses happen, is that the other animal's non-symptomatic. It bites a human, it eats, or a human eats it, yada, yada. It gets scratched um, and then the human becomes symptomatic. But where does the bat get the virus? It, I don't know. I couldn't tell. I mean. Like it's just in its DNA or not something? Not necessarily. Like viruses come. Viruses are millions of years old. And a, I mean, a lot of the things it's because we as people are messing with um the environment by like building new infrastructure and such that animals have to move their environments, their foreign environments. Those viruses could have been living in those other environments. Just they're just chilling, they're vibing. But then this bat comes and they use it as an opportunity, and then they end up evolving, and then they evolve into like penguin or the civet. And then eventually humans eat that. So we're just waking up all the old viruses? Possibly. Um, We're in for a reckoning. So as of February 24th, China (laughs) put a ban on eating wild animal meat altogether. Um, This is a... a Jeff He, which is the China director of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, he says, I applaud the ban as we see that the Chinese government is determined to change a thousand-year-old tradition, which is so inappropriate in today's society. So, to ban the wild animal eating. Um, A similar ban was placed on bats in Beijing in 2002 um, with SARS, but was lifted after SARS disappeared, and again, it became popular to consume wild animals. Um, So... Maybe just keep the ban. Well, I mean, that's their, also their culture. You have to respect that also. I don't have to respect I mean, any. I'm kidding. We, I'm kidding. we eat cows. <laughs> India looks at, like, that's crazy. Well, okay, you know what I'm was, saying? It's. Well, okay, but my next question was, like, why haven't we gotten, like, way more viruses from, like, cows and stuff have the viruses i mean mad cow disease i mean there's there has been cases but like a bat could so easily bite a cow right so why aren't we getting more diseases maybe those happened hundreds of years ago when we cultivated cattle and they're like we fought that off it's just not like we don't know it back when you know livestock started great sapiens very good book now i did see this other thing that it was like people either thought that it was like 
someone had been peed on by a pangolin or had eaten it. What, what would the, why, why the pee theory? Why the pee theory? I mean, if it's in the urine and you have an open wound or like, even if that's a small cut, that's an entrance route. But isn't pee sterile? Maybe not for all animals. I think for people, I mean, I don't even know if that's true for people. I don't know. I'm just taking stabs at things with <laughs> with the, my limited knowledge. I'm trying to wrap my brain around. But what we are seeing now, okay. Meta. What we are seeing now is in a historical context is an unprecedented acceleration of spillover or jumping um, of animal pathogens, uh, whether that's viruses or bacteria. Most of the time they are viruses, so we're seeing a lot of this happening, and that's because, again, human population growth and that people are changing the environment around us, which influences how we interact with animals. Um, So now about half of all of the known human pathogens are zoonotic, and about three-fourths of emerging diseases that we find out about are zoonotic, which is a lot. Wow. if this stuff's interesting to you guys, I highly recommend the book Spillover by David Quammen, which is a book we had to read in disease ecology in undergrad, and I love that book. It's very, very, very interesting if you're interested in stuff like this. Coronavirus may save the pangolins and should be a lesson for us for many reasons. Uh, listen to scientists, A. B, evolution is real. See, we need to stop digging up wildlife for our own benefit because we've just dipped our toes into a world of zoonosis and it is only going to go down from here. Was that C or D? Well, I'm going to give point E. Point E, point E is stop reliving history yes. because we just keep doing this stuff over and over. <laughs> selfish and chaotic and so chaotic. stubborn. Among other things. Yes, but Spillover is a very good book. He also wrote an entire book on Ebola. He's like, he studies genetics and transmission, and he's been along for the ride in so many different viruses that we find out about in Spillover, including HIV. Um, He was on it for SARS. They're so cool. It talks about he, like, travels around Mm -hmm. the world and stuff, and it's very cool. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. He has a monkey on the cover. Anyway. Um, any final thoughts? I sh- Thank you for the You're education. You're welcome. I'm very glad I saved the pangolins for this week. And I yeah, there couldn't be a better time. Literally, this was going to be like week two, and I just kept putting it off. Because I was like, oh, I'd rather do yeah. this. Oh, I'd rather. I'm like, no, this week's for the pangolins. <laughs> so hashtag save the pangolins, hashtag stay inside, hashtag stop destroying the environment. And buy used houses because there are plenty of them. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week. Bye. Goodbye.